Terry and I were saved in a Continental Baptist Missions Church. This is my wife, Terry. Terry, just put your hand up there a little bit. And, and then with her, Cindy. Cindy's a friend of ours. Her dad was the missionary with Continental Baptist Missions. Actually, Hiawatha Land Baptist Missions. Same mission agency. We're 75 years old this year. And we started to the lumber and the sawmills, uh, mining, the logging industry in the Upper Peninsula of uh, Michigan. And her, her father, she came when she was 10 years old to Montana and to help start Flint Creek Baptist Church. And so we've known and loved her since she was a little girl. She's out here to help us build our cabin. We start churches in the United States and in Canada and in Puerto Rico. Uh, our job as missionaries is to work ourselves out of a job. We have missionary church planters with Continental Baptist Missions. And the people in the local church, as we've started four churches, my family and I have started four churches, they know me as pastor, but they realize I can be their pastor because other churches are help supporting us. I'm someone else's missionary. And a job as a church planter is to work yourself out of a job. In Beverly Hills, our first work, praise the Lord, we started with about 15 people. Ooh, i got to give you a reference point. We're going to get to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. But uh, pastor mentioned I should share a little bit about the mission. Uh, we started in Beverly Hills, Florida and had about 15 people. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. It says the fruit of our lips should be offering praise to His name. We should do good and communicate. In other words, we should tell people the good things that God is doing. And so I'm about to do that. It's important that you hear me say, wow, look what God has done. In Beverly Hills, Florida, uh, we were there for two years. We had a piece of property given to us. We started with about 15 people. We were about 140 at two years, and we saw about 80 individuals accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and we're busy discipling. When we see individuals saved, and we're really, really busy discipling those individuals. It's as important to do discipleship as it is to be doing evangelism. And it was exciting. It was the people in the church. Terry and I had privilege to lead others to Christ. But the people in the church were burdened to bring others to Christ. Pastor, you could appreciate this on a Wednesday night. And a Wednesday night is not normally your evangelistic outreach. But one of the dear ladies came to me and just put her hand on my on my arm as I was getting ready to start the Wednesday night message. The service hadn't started yet. She said, Pastor, I would never tell you what to preach. And I said, well, that's a good thing. And and she was a dear lady. She was a soul winner. She said, but I need to tell you that someone's here tonight who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I can always handle that. And we saw some people come to Christ on a Wednesday night. We had this one Wednesday night. A fella came in. We canvassed the whole community of about 10,000 people. Went door to door. And we had this one fella come in on a Wednesday night. You know, he got a flyer that said we have a Wednesday night service. Came in on a Wednesday night. Real obvious that he he wasn't at home, but he was he was glad to be there. We had a, a little message. And the Wednesday night, I say a little message. Wednesday night, the main emphasis has always been prayer for us. We do focus on the Word of God, but the main focus is on prayer. And so the men split up for prayer. And I always train the guys, when, when we're in a, sitting in a circle to pray, like say there's five or six or seven of us, don't pray around in a circle if there's a visitor there because the heat gets more and they're wondering, am I going to have to pray next? So this guy prayed, and then this guy prayed, and then this guy prayed, and the visitor sitting over here. Pretty soon the visitor prayed, and he said, uh, Lord, uh, it seems like these people really know you. Uh, and he really was praying like this. Uh, I wish I could know you too. Amen. And we went on with praying. And afterwards, uh, I, Brother Frazier said to him, one of the guys who was a soul winner in the church, Brother Frazier said, did I hear your prayer right? And I said to the rest of the guys, let's clear out. 
So we all left the room, and Frazier had the opportunity to share the gospel with that fellow, and he was saved that night, and we rejoice. So we went to Beverly Hills, and we were able to build a building. We also have not only church planters, but then we have church builders. These are individuals who are skilled in the building's trade. They've given up their, their jobs. They become missionaries. They actually raise support, monthly support. When I think of support, like you just mentioned, Pastor, we think of prayer support. And you think of finances. You need the finances, but the prayer support's important. And so we have these individuals who have raised their support as builders, and they go around the country building buildings. The last building we built was in Bradenton, Florida. Lakewood Ranch, Florida is the name of the town now. They actually got their own zip code, so they, they named it after that. And we built the building that the day we moved into it, and I hope this doesn't sound extravagant, the day we moved into it was worth $2 million, and we built it for $800,000 with the help of those builders and other volunteers who come and help us. So all of us, whether we're church planters or whether we're builders, uh, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. So the Lord has been very, very good to Continental Baptist Missions. We started off as Hiawatha Land Independent Baptist Missions in the land of Gitchigumi, Hiawatha Land, and starting churches in that logging area, as I mentioned. And then the name was changed to Hiawatha Baptist Missions. And then in, uh, in 83, because now we have missionaries all throughout the continental United States, and as I mentioned in Canada, Puerto Rico, I uh, had a church in, in Alaska. That was one of my first responsibilities, to go up and help that church graduate in Palmer, Alaska. And our job is ultimately to work ourselves out of a job. So we rejoice in the good things that God has done. Changed the name in 1983 to Continental Baptist Missions. No doctrinal changes. Uh, we're we an independent, fundamental Baptist mission agency. We rub shoulders with Baptist churches. We rub shoulders sometimes with other churches of like faith. And uh, uh, that may be a, a Bible church or something like this. So that's who we are. If you would pray for us, we would appreciate that very, very much. We began our Sunday school, and I'll re I'll, I realize there are some people here who weren't here for Sunday school. Could I use that as an opportunity to invite you to consider if God would want you to be there in Sunday school or not. It's a good opportunity to get yet another another feeding from the Word of God. And so we began in Sunday school this morning. We began with the young people telling me what they knew about Jesus Christ and establishing the truth that you young people here, if you know anything about Jesus, you know more than what I knew when I was 19 years old. I didn't know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. I didn't know that Jesus died for me personally. I knew that I was a sinner. That's about all that I knew. I didn't know that Jesus rose again. And I heard that for the first time at Flint Creek Baptist Church when I was 19 years old, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the Lord has changed me. He changes us from within. And that's the need of the people around us. We have so many things going on, so many needs around us, but the core need is for individuals to be changed one at a time through Jesus Christ and through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we established some of those things this morning. And then we looked at uh, John, we're, we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We'll get there. But we looked at John chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus says, You know, you understand, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Since they were an agrarian society, they were a farmer society, they knew about the harvest. He says, you know these things. It's not a big surprise to you that there will be a harvest in four months. But then he goes on and essentially saying, but I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, 
for they are white already to harvest. And he was talking about a spiritual harvest. And I want to encourage us to see things the way Jesus Christ sees things. I know, I appreciated the good participation from the young people today and from the adults as well, if I ask the question, how can you see like Jesus Christ sees? Not just like he saw, that could be legitimate to say it that way, but it's more important to understand that he is alive and he still sees. I say, how can we see the way Jesus Christ sees? And one of the answers, the, the main answer, the, the primary answer on how we can do that is to hide behind the Word of God. We will learn to see things the way Jesus Christ sees them through being in the Bible, the whole of the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament will help us understand what God is like, will help us understand and see the way Jesus Christ sees. And so this passage today, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, is going to help us to see how Jesus Christ sees. I'll begin reading Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now we're going to look at every phrase here, dear people, and we're going to see how Jesus made conclusions, how we can make those same conclusions, and again, I know I'm repeating, how we can see people the way Jesus Christ sees people. He says, to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And in this verse, we're going to see five powerful profiles of how Jesus Christ saw and how Jesus Christ sees people. The very first one, Jesus Christ sees people as spiritually bankrupt. Look what it says in verse 18. All these, we'll use other verses too, but you'll be able to keep your finger right here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Even if you look at other passages, we'll keep coming back to this. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now I said that Jesus Christ sees people as spiritually bankrupt. Where would he get that idea? Well, preach the gospel to the poor. Here, he wasn't talking about people who were poor financially. It may have included people who were poor financially. But here he's talking and he uses the word of people who were absolutely destitute. But their destitution is in their spiritual condition, not in their physical or their material condition. Jesus Christ knew that people couldn't save themselves. Jesus Christ knew and knows that people can't help themselves. I worked for the Anaconda Company in Anaconda. I worked in an arbiter plant. It was called an arbiter plant. It was a hydro-metallurgical plant. Not pyro-metallurgical. Pyro is fire. That's a smelter. We refined out of the rock. We would refine the copper byproducts, gold and silver, out of the rock, they'd crush the rock, they'd make a slurry which was about 80% solid, and these pumps would pump that slurry, and then we would hit that with all kinds of chemicals, and the final product was a slab about this thick, about this wide, about this tall, of 99.44, and I didn't get it confused with Dove soap, 99.44% <clears throat> pure copper. 
and they had these big slabs, and we got it with hydrometallurgical process. <coughs> Part of that process is really dirty. The whole thing was, because you had all these chemicals, you had all this mud, you're always working in the mud. I worked in maintenance. So when something got broke, I had the opportunity and the responsibility to fix it. I remember working on a rake in a tank that was 150 feet across. <clears throat> and the, the, the shaft was in the middle, and it had five rakes. It would be out this way and this way, and they'd stretch halfway across. And those would turn and take the solids, put them down in the pump. Again, we're hitting it all with chemicals the whole time. The rake broke, and we had to go in and put shear pins in it. And the first time that I did it, I went in, and I just stood still. It was a new plant. Nobody had any experience. And I just stood still, and I felt the mud around my feet, and then pretty soon the mud's around my ankles. Pretty soon the mud's up to my calves. We got the thing fixed, and I tried to step out, and I couldn't move my foot. <clears throat> and, and I tried to pull my foot out, and then I reached down, and these are, these are uh, rubber boots, and they come up about to your knee, and then they had the big, you know, they had the, the, hand, the finger holds here where you could take them and put them on. So I, I'm stuck with both feet like this, and I reached out, and I put my fingers in those, and I try to literally lift myself out of that mud by my own bootstraps. And you just could not do it. How, what, we couldn't leave it there because it's going to go down and it's going to plug up the pump, and then we got other problems. So I stepped out of the boot in my stocking feet, and, then, and of course you're just filthy by this time anyway, and then I just kind of forced the boot out of there. And, pull, and it came out in my stock and feet holding these two boots that are covered with mud. And the idea being just a, an illustration of trying to get yourself out of a hole with your own bootstraps. You just could not do it. You know, you're, you're trying to pull at the same time your foot is pushing down. You try and it just, you, spiritually speaking, dear people, we can't lift ourselves out of the miry clay by our own bootstraps. <coughs> we don't. We don't have any resources at all to help ourselves. This word poor here means absolutely, just absolutely bankrupt spiritually. Now using the material as a reference point, and Jesus does this too because we think of the poor. We see people around us that are poor. Uh, there's a guy up at uh, Rocker, west of Butte, and I stop there for fuel sometimes when I go by. and. This guy's out there quite a bit, and he's got a sign. And one time there was a guy out there that had a sign and said, we'll work for beer. Well, I'm not going to give him any money for beer or give him a job to work for beer. He's poor. This word is worse than that. This word, this word would be far worse than somebody who's on a street corner trying to get money. And we need to realize that we are absolutely destitute. If you keep your finger in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I'll begin to read, and I'll remind you where it is again. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, how rich was Jesus? I was reading this morning Colossians chapter 1 where I was reminded yet again that Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the sustainer of the universe. He was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. How poor did Jesus Christ become? And, and my answer that's in my mind that stirs my heart 
is that Jesus Christ became poor enough to hang upon the cross of Calvary. He never ceased being God. He always was God. And yet the Bible says, for your sakes he became poor. And, and, and he hung on the cross in sin. And that's kind of offensive to us, but I've got to quickly say, not his own sin. He didn't have any sin of his own at all. But he hung on the cross in sin of your sin and my sin. And he's the sinless one, and he's the creator. He's the perfect one. He's the pure one. <clears throat> that's the element of being poor. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. We are not only supposed to see like Jesus Christ sees, which is our main emphasis today, but we're supposed to think like Jesus Christ thinks. He says, let this mind be in you. So what kind of mind? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, now we're still, we're still digging into the question, how poor did Jesus Christ become? Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, to say Jesus Christ is God, we're not robbing anything from God. I was doing revival meetings in Portland, Portland, Michigan. And I had, every night we had kids meetings and I had opportunity to address the kids. And then we had a meeting with the adults. We also had a sportsman's banquet where we saw some individuals saved. Uh, a big game banquet. And, and they, they kind of advertised to the kids, on such and such a night, we will have the president come and speak to you. And this was shortly after President Obama was elected. And so I went down there and they, they didn't say the president of Continental Baptist Missions. They said the president. And it was not, it was nothing wrong with that. They're just kind of, and so I went down there and, and they introduced me as the president and there I stand. And, and one little girl, skeptical, says, so you're the president, huh? And I said, yeah. And she says, which one? She's probably a homeschooled kid who had memorized all the presidents, you know. Which president? And I said, the sixth. I'm the sixth president of Continental Baptist Missions. She shook her head sadly and said, you should be dead. <laughs> if I somehow conveyed myself as the president, that would be robbery. Jesus presents himself, Scripture presents Jesus, the writers of Scripture under the inspiration of God present Jesus as God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It's not a misrepresentation to know that Jesus Christ is God. So that's how rich he was. What did he do? Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He became poor. That's the idea made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So that's how poor this word is when he says, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's somebody who's absolutely spiritually destitute. And we need to realize, dear people, that we are on a rescue mission. When you do your work, we need to recognize that people all around us are poor, maybe not materially, but if they don't know Christ as Savior, they're poor spiritually. We need to realize from Romans chapter 1, verse 14, that we are debtors. We have a debt to pay, not money, but the debt we have to pay is to be telling others about Jesus Christ. 
He says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the free. And dear people, no civil authority is going to make us pay that debt. That's something we need to be aware of as we rub shoulders with a lost and dying world, that people need Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus sees people as broken. Again, we're back to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The next phrase says, He hath sent me to heal the broken-hearted. People don't act like they're broken-hearted. People act like they have everything, sometimes. But the Bible tells us that without Christ, people are broken. Here's the resume. Uh, boys and girls, a resume is something you put together that tells about it tells about you and it gives facts about you oftentimes when you're looking for a job. Well, this isn't a resume of someone looking for a job, but here's a resume of someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, at that time, well, at what time? The next, the next phrase tells us, at that time you were without Christ. So he's talking about people who do not know, he's talking to the Ephesians who know Christ now, but they didn't. And he's saying what they were before they knew Christ. And, and there's five things here. At that time you were without Christ, he says, aliens, strangers, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's the resume of people that you rub shoulders with who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Seemingly full, and yet in reality empty. Seemingly prosperous, and yet in reality paupers. Seemingly possessing everything and yet in reality having nothing. And we need to realize that we need to see people. We, we look at people and just on the surface, they don't seem broken. But they are. He sees them as broken. Thirdly, Luke 4.18 again. There we're taking phrase by phrase. To preach deliverance to the captives. Number three, Jesus Christ sees people as bound. And that's how we should be seeing people. We, we need to put on, we need to put on our, our Christ, could I say it this way, our Christ-centered glasses, our Christ-focused glasses through the Word of God and see the way Jesus Christ sees things. Terry and I have run a big motorcycle. We sold it to put a roof on a cabin. Just a matter of priorities. When I lived in Florida, I drove 100 miles a day on my motorcycle, about 30,000, not quite 100, but about 30,000 miles a year on the motorcycle. It was my vehicle. We moved to Michigan. We live in Michigan now. We're only here for two months a year. But we live in Michigan. In Michigan, you know, it's one thing to have a motorcycle and it's your vehicle. It's something else to have a motorcycle when it's kind of a, something you can use two or three months a year. And so we sold that to put a roof on the, on the cabin. But we'd ride that motorcycle, and I got some glasses and they're nighttime glasses. They're not enhanced. They don't have batteries or anything. They just have, they're usually bright yellow, or maybe they'd be bright blue. And if you put them on in here today with your good lighting, it would be too bright. But if you wear them at night, and, and, and it, it helps enhance them, like I say, without any kind of uh, electricity, or it, it helps enhance and helps you see things brighter. So those are motorcycle glasses. In Daytona Beach, Florida, We've never been there at Bike Week. We stay away for Bike Week. But we've been there a lot of other times. In Daytona Beach, Florida, if they catch you riding a motorcycle without glasses, they fine you $37.50. Don't ask me how I know. I read it in the book. Don't think the worst. I read it in the book. I never got a fine. But you got to have motorcycle glasses. 
My encouragement is not to put on motorcycle glasses. Or if somebody says to you, you're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, that's not a compliment. They mean, you're not, they mean you're not seeing things in reality the way they really are. You're seeing things better than what they are. I'm not encouraging you to put on rose-colored glasses. My encouragement is to put on Christ-colored glasses or Christ-centered glasses. And so we see that he sees them bound to preach deliverance to the captive. Jesus said to some of the most religious people in the world in John chapter 8, verse 44, verse 34, excuse me, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. You see the connection here? We are captives. We are servants to sin. Also in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 16. He says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And it's interesting that Romans chapter 6 was written to believers. And he says, watch out that you don't become a captive to sin. One of the songs I like so well is, And Can It Be? And one of the verses says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. And he says, referring to Christ, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. Talking about being a captive to sin. It goes on, My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. See, when we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, we are captives to sin. Be careful. Like I said, it was written to believers, Romans chapter 6. We can still be captives to sin. He says, Know ye not, the verse goes on, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So he sees people as bound, and he says, to preach deliverance to the captive. Fourthly, Jesus sees people as blind. Now there again, this is not physically, but spiritually. Look at verse 18, Luke 4, 18. And recovering of sight to the blind. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says that there are people who profess themselves to be wise, but they became fools. They were blind. They were spiritually blind. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, and depart from evil. We need to realize that people without Christ are blind. And I hope you're thinking of individuals that God has given you an opportunity, maybe their co-workers, maybe their neighbors, maybe their relatives. And these are individuals where we're supposed to be telling Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be telling them about Jesus Christ. He sees them as bruised. The next phrase in verse 18, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised here can kind of have a wrong connotation. Uh, uh, we, were, we were laughing the other day. Cindy's been helping us build a cabin and, and she's got the bruises to show it. And we didn't beat her up or anything, but you just, you know, bumping into things. We built this. We built a beautiful staircase. Two weeks ago, it was a big spruce tree in the woods. And actually, it's about this big. And I cut it down and cut it down. I'm using it for firewood, mostly. Got it cut down to about this size and then split it in half, lengthwise with a chainsaw. And then those are my side bucks for the stairs. And then and they go up to a landing. We make the turn 180 degrees and go up. And then we took another tree, other trees, and, and uh, they were part of the cabin when we put the doors in. And we split those in half. 
And so you just do all kinds of things like that, and you get some bumps and you get some bruises. This word for a bruise, sometimes you teach by comparison and say, okay, this is what a bruise is for us. This is what this means. Sometimes you teach by contrast. This word for bruise is not to get a bruise and it's going to get better. Uh, my son-in-law is a, a lieutenant colonel in the military. He's not 40 years old yet. And the Lord has really blessed him in his military career, and he's a dedicated believer. And I had the privilege when he was at Fort Sill to go out on a live firing range with him. And then the next day I had the privilege to go out where they were firing everything. He, he implemented a program uh, during the war. He implemented a program where every officer had to learn everything. And so I went up there, and he had to fly to the Pentagon. So I'm with his first sergeant. And I get up there, and he says, do you want to you shoot, or he says, do you want to just watch? No, no, excuse me. He says, do you want to you shoot in your civilian clothes, or he says, do you want my flak jacket? And I wore a flak jacket yet the day before. And I thought I was just going to watch, and he tells me I'm going to be shooting. So, boy, I had a ball. And he says, you want to start with the big guns or the little ones? And I said to myself, I believe in the soon return of Jesus Christ. I want to start with the big guns. So I got a 40 caliber caliber grenade launcher. And you can actually see them going, poom, 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 going and it looks like a big rope going through the air. And, and, and everyone had it just there. They, they took me to the front of the line. Some, they didn't know who I was because my son-in-law wasn't there. And I'm with the first sergeant, and they just took me to the front of the line. I heard somebody say that, I think he's a senator. <laughs> I said, yeah, like a senator could cut a tree down with a 50 caliber machine gun. And I just had a ball. But I asked him, everybody just shooting like this. And I got on a 50 caliber machine gun. They say it barks. It really does. It's amazing. And I said, and I just looked it over. And I said to the range master, can I loosen that up a little bit and move it around? He says, yeah, just keep it between the barrels there. And I said, so I loosen up. Boy, I'm just shooting all over the place. And I, I shot about 20 rounds. And I started to get up. He says, finish the case, sir. So I was spending your hard-earned tax money shooting 50 caliber rounds, and I had a ball. But then I got to the handheld grenade launcher, and the scope is, is in order to see the sight on that grenade launcher, you hold the rifle like this, of course, the regular, but to see that, you had to kind of hold it over here and, and look down the side. The grenade launcher's on the side, and, and you can't hold the rifle here, the butt of the rifle. You've got to hold it here. And so I'm shooting those 40 caliber grenades. Now, this is not an automatic. You just load one at a time. And I'm shooting. I had to shoot a button. He finished the case, sir. So I'm doing that. Boy, the next day, my whole arm was all bruised. Just this whole area was all bruised. It got better. Boy, that's a lot of way to say this is not what this word means. This word would be like a bamboo fly rod. Is that something we relate to here? Yeah. And if you break that fly rod, it's useless. You can break it. A lot of the old fly rods, a two-piece bamboo fly rod, would come with three pieces. Why three? An extra tip. Because if you broke the tip on a bamboo fly rod, it just wasn't the same. It's, it's not good anymore. You say, well, you can duct tape it. No, you can't even gorilla tape it. It's wrecked. That's the word that this is. When he says he sees them as bruised, set at liberty them that are bruised. He means unsalvageable. And I trust you understand. He said, wait a minute, God has salvaged us. God did not cause us to be reborn, dear people. It's not as though we've been born again. We have been born again. God didn't say, I'll take that old nature and I'll clean it up and make it better. That's what religion tries to do. 
He says, I'll give you a whole new nature. I'll cause you to be born again. Not like, not as if we're born again. We are born again. Not like or as if we would be new creatures. We are new creatures. God says, in a sense, I won't even do anything with that old nature. Now, we can let that old nature get weak by feeding the new nature. Or we could choose to feed the old nature and it'll get stronger too. To set them that are bruised. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, that's the idea, hath quickened us together in Christ, for by grace are you saved. That's what He did for us. Cause us to be quickened. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 5, 14, Wherefore He said, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead. They say, we weren't, we weren't really dead. We were really dead, spiritually, back in the garden when He said, If the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They didn't die. Yes, they did. They died spiritually. They didn't die physically. They began to die physically. But in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. They died. They died spiritually. And that's why we need to be born again. Notice the contrast. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1 he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He knew their warped thinking. And in the previous chapter he said, Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So he knew their warped thinking. They're going, hmm, where sin abounds, so if my sin is this big, grace does much more abound. God's grace is this big. If my sin is a pile like this, God's grace is a pile like this. He knew their warped warp thinking. I'll sin more. That was their warped thinking. Because now if I have a pile of sin this big, God's grace will be this big. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should I show how big my sin is so grace will be bigger? He says, God forbid. How shall you that are dead to sin... Before we're saved, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. After we're saved, we are dead to sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we don't sin. We can still choose to sin. But it does mean when sin comes knocking on our door, we don't have to answer. The choice is us. The choice is ours, whether we do that or not. So that's the whole idea of being bruised. By way of conclusion, dear people, Here's five powerful profiles of how Jesus Christ sees people. And my desire today is that we, myself included, would continue to see people the way Jesus Christ sees people. Reviewing briefly, number one, he sees them as bankrupt. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he sees them as broken. He hath set me to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, he sees them as bound to preach deliverance to the captives. Number four, he sees them as blind, recovering sight to the blind. Number five, he sees them as bruised to set at liberty them that are bruised. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's good that you've taken on those missionaries. But that doesn't lessen your responsibility. When he says, go into all the world... He means as you are going. Does it, does it include sending somebody else? It does, but it doesn't lessen your responsibility to take the gospel to 
a lost and dying world. He says, go and teach all nations. Mark chapter 16, verse 5, He said to them, go into all the world as you're going about. And, and I'm adding the word, I'm not changing Scripture, but the idea there is, as you're going about your business, as you're rubbing shoulders with your unsaved relatives, as you're working side by side with someone who's unsaved, as you have other opportunities to minister to the unsaved, by God's grace, let's share the gospel with them. Preach the gospel. Oh, and the word preach, while it includes standing behind a pulpit like your pastor does, or standing behind a pulpit like I'm endeavoring to do, while the word preach includes that, the word preach actually means to tell it. It means to proclaim. It means to speak. It means to utter. So it doesn't mean you've got to have a pulpit to do it. You just do it as you're going about your daily business. Father in heaven, help us, we pray, to see the world like Jesus Christ sees the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.